Welcome to Age of Geek, everybody. I'm Jake. Uh, Robert is joining us hopefully shortly. And we have special guest with us, Quinn Rollins. Quinn, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, Robert's Robert's having some technical difficulties. I'm sure he'll be back in. Uh, but we'll just go. The show, as they say in show business, must go on. And while we're not big-time show business, we are very small-time show business. So we will find a way to carry on until Robert rejoins us here shortly. But Quinn... We are talking about Star Trek, and uh, as far as I know, you're a pretty big uh, Star Trek fan. Is that accurate? That's yeah, that's that's accurate. I uh, going back to the '80s, I guess. I uh, big fan of the movies that were out then, and then when Next Generation came on, I started watching that with my uh, with my family when I was a kid, and then. Uh, then Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and then Enterprise, meh. And then uh, <laughs> the like new Star Trek, like 21st century Star Trek has been great. So yeah, big fan. Deep Space Nine, I usually say, is my favorite Trek. So. Usually say. Other times, like if, if you need to in a pinch, you'll say it's another one just in case, like depending on the audience. Well, so one of my friends, uh, when they ask him about what's your favorite, like Star Wars, it's like whatever mm-hmm. Star Wars I'm watching. And I feel the same way about Star Trek. It's like, yeah, whichever one is on TV that I'm watching right now, that's that's my favorite. Yeah, I've been impressed so far with what they've done uh, with the new Star Trek that's come out. Discovery's pretty solid. Uh, that's a very controversial mm-hmm. opinion to have and divisive but I still feel like it's the truth and that's fine. Um, and, uh, I've Picard I'm split on. Uh, I did not care for the first season as much. The second was a little (laughs) bit better and I'm enjoying the third. You laugh. I'm now I'm nervous. No, I, I agree. I think discovery when it's at its best is among the best star Trek has to offer. And, uh, Picard, I don't feel like has hit those heights yet. I, right. I love Patrick Word of Captain Picard. I think I, I feel like seeing more of the next generation reunion that we're getting mm-hmm. so far in the three of Picard is more what what I hoped for. You know, I, I want to see yeah. these characters grown and changed and uh, we're getting some good stuff. Yeah, I agree. How about uh, Strange New Worlds? What are your thoughts on that one? Oh, I love it so much. It's uh, I uh, I I love it. I it's I feel like it's uh, sometimes I think our memories of old TV shows are better than they actually are. I feel like yes. Strange New Worlds is like, if I were remembering how good the 1960s Star Trek was, in my you know, teenage head and like reading books and stuff, these adventures that I knew were, were bigger than the sixties could show me on their budget and technology. I feel like mm-hmm. strange new worlds is more, more like that. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. That kind of rose colored glass looking back on it. This is what star Trek was. And um, I Pike has quickly become one of my favorite captains. Like I watched the show and I think yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being on his crew. I I just like to look at his hair. Like I I think I would just uh, 
you know, have little emoji eyes staring at his <laughs> hair constantly because it's the it's beautiful hair. Yeah, he does but, have but amazing hair. But but also the right the right kind of optimism, the right kind of I I want to have an adventure, but I don't want to put my crew in danger. And then mm -hmm. having that element of he he knows what his future is going to be, but doesn't know everything about it. I I feel like that's the, it makes for a compelling character and a an interesting take on Captain Pike, who has always been sort of a oh that guy. Yeah, yeah, he was the guy before Kirk showed up right. in one pilot episode, yeah. and that was it, and that's yeah. all we really knew about him. So yeah. it's it's great to see the character kind of get fleshed out like you said i've enjoyed it quite a bit that's probably out of the new star trek series that one's probably become my favorite even after just one season but any show that can hook me in after just one season i'm it, it's pretty good you know i'm usually pretty forgiving especially with yeah. star trek i uh i i love strange new worlds and then there's lower decks is the other and uh I think it is the right mix of adventure and comedy. And is this something I wanted from Star Trek? And it turns out, yes, it, it is. <laughs> if you had asked me before it came out, I'd probably say no. But yeah, now that we have it, it definitely, oh, yeah. it's, it's filling a niche that was needed. So yeah, well, we're, we're killing time until Robert comes back. He says he's about just a few minutes away. <laughs> so he'll be back in and he'll direct our conversation right. as far as DS9, which I agree. That that is when I talk about Star Trek. That's my favorite series as well. Um, and uh, usually, if I'm going to go back and rewatch a series, like I'll go back and pick and choose different episodes in, in Next Generation that I really enjoy. Yeah. But I don't know that I would sit down and watch the whole series from start to finish, especially because the first couple of seasons are just really painful to get through. But uh, with DS9, that's one that I'll start just regularly at the very beginning and watch through to the end because I just enjoy the series so much and the storytelling. And it's a little different because it's it's still episodic at parts, but it has an overarching story that connects it from start to finish, kind of like Next Generation tried to do with uh, All Good Things, uh, but didn't really yeah. touch on it most of the time in the series. Right. It, well, and it was only with all good things that they could go back and say, oh, this was the arc of mm -hmm. of our story of Picard and Q's relationship and and all that. It's like retroactively, they sort of tried to make that happen. But and, and, and they were under the limits of syndication and what right. what Paramount would would allow and not allow. And uh, but I it's definitely. Uh, Deep Space Nine is definitely a step up in storytelling from from what Next Generation was able to do. Yeah, I feel like with Deep Space Nine, when when it came out, it didn't catch on right away, and I still don't know that it ever hit the heights as far as viewership that Next Generation did. But right. I think that helped it because the storytellers, the writers, kind of felt like nobody's really watching this anyway. So let's just tell the stories that we want to tell because what, what's Take the more chances. Yeah. And I think that comes through in a lot of the storytelling in, in deep space. Nine. 
Yeah, it's I've got it's kids, when being the middle child is an advantage. And a lot of people, that's kind of their main issue with these say signs. It doesn't feel like Star Trek to them, which is crazy because I don't know what Star Trek is supposed to feel like. Except that if you tell me it's a Star Trek right. series, and it it should feel like Star Trek, right? But that's kind of yeah. the complaint, right? That it they're not out exploring space. They're not. They're kind of just sitting around at the station doing nothing, which isn't true either. I I think if you if you just hopped into the middle at some point and you and you didn't know the story, it would be possibly harder to get into than a single episode of Next Generation or or something else. But you you still have those those stories you still have the the characters i mean it's still oh those people are starfleet those people aren't starfleet it's it's star trek like mm -hmm. catch up <laughs> yeah totally agree and and it does hit its 30th anniversary this year or earlier this year i think it aired in january or february of 1993 is when it first aired uh and that, like going back and watching it, I still, so when I think, when somebody says old Star Trek to me, I think of the 1960s series. And when somebody says new Star Trek, I think right. of Next Generation and later. <laughs> right. And this is when I've realized I've started to become an old man because I'm like, no, that's still new Star Trek and it's hitting its 30th anniversary. <laughs> and my kids are like, no, that's a really old show now, Dad. Yeah. Aging. It's a, uh, yeah. No, when, uh, when Deep Space Nine premiered, um, I was living in Germany and not consuming media, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, found a found a paperback of uh, the emissary, the the first episode, and so I read right. that in German before I ever had the chance to actually see the TV show. And, oh, interesting! Uh, it was it was a different world. I missed, uh, during a similar time living in Germany and not consuming media, I missed Star Wars, Attack of the Clones, uh, Spider-Man, and uh, the first Lord of the Rings movie. So that was all stuff that came out while I was living in Germany. And yeah. uh, I feel like I dodged a bullet with Attack of the Clones. That one I was okay missing. I, I, I missed Jurassic Park and Lion King. So like wow. all of 93, all of 94, but yeah, we, I did catch, yeah. we were able to catch uh emperor's new groove in German while I was there. That was the animated <laughs> film I missed, which is not the same as Lion King. <laughs> no, not no, quite the same level. That's fascinating. Uh, so reading it in German, what were your thoughts with emissary reading that paperback? Cause that's a totally different experience. I'm sure. I, I loved it. I was looking for ways to stretch my uh, my language learning mm -hmm. and like find new things, and uh, uh, I was encouraged to do it, and so so I That's did. Cool. Uh, they also had um, Hörspiele, so little cassettes of basically the the German dubbing of of different TV shows, and uh, had those for about a dozen next generation episodes from season one. Oh, cool. Oh, well, that's too bad. It was, it was weird. I know it, it was not the best. <laughs> I, I am probably a lot harsher on season one of, of uh, the next generation than I should be. Uh, Cause season two is much worse, but um, 
for me, once their uniforms aren't as tight, that's usually when this <laughs> show is getting better. And when the, and when the actors can breathe, in. yeah, yeah, when the actors yeah. can breathe, they can tell better stories. I do feel like with DS9, though, as it has gone on, as it's aged over the last 30 years, it's picked up more of a following. Um, and I think a lot of that, we talked about how the storytelling was a little bit different. And we'll get more into detail on this because I think Robert's got like a killer outline and everything. Yeah. Uh, and clearly, I am not as well prepared for the outline part of this as he is. Uh, but uh, I think we talked about the difference in the storytelling. Do you feel like... Deep Space Nine is more similar to the type of storytelling that we see today on series, and that's why it's starting to pick up more of a, a cult following or has in the recent years. I don't know. What do you th- Is it similar to that or, or still really different? I, I think that kind of storytelling benefits from being on streaming services. You, you don't have to or a tape or something. You can just keep on watching while you're doing laundry or whatever else you're doing and uh and i think it it benefits benefits from uh from streaming services robert were you wearing the uniform before you froze and dropped out yes and i just didn't notice (laughs) this is wow (laughs) i i I also didn't notice so so i had the tunic on uh, the the undershirt on under my hoodie and changed it and literally i had just sat back down for putting it on and my computer decides to go guess what you're not about to do and i'm like what it's like anything i'm like oh you've got to be kidding me so basically it's just like being on deep space nine in the early seasons when chief o'brien's got to chase all the problems down well i can tell you uh that i did a terrible job filling in for you over the last (laughs) few minutes while you were gone i'm Uh, sure that you did just fine no i don't know Quinn, Quinn carried it. He just answered my questions. So, <laughs> Well, I'm sorry that I missed it. Um, and also, in oh, let's see if it possibly captured it before it decided to die. Uh, in dying, it also took down the notes that I had that I was going to use for this. So we're going to see if it did not save them. Fortunately, I took, took a picture of it before the computer decided to go completely dead. Well, the good news is, Robert, I did not spend uh, about two minutes ago a few few seconds talking about how well prepared you were and how great your outline probably was for this so uh and built that up for everybody well thank you no pressure there at all now (laughs) (laughs) um so not knowing what you two talked about for the past 10 minutes um i'm going to say um you know look at let's start with what made deep space nine so different from the other tracks and for me it was the first, not only the first series that started with a, a captain, sorry, a lead character who was A, not a captain, but B, also a person of color. We'd seen other, other uh, races and other genders in, in the lead role before, but we'd never seen a series that started with, well, this guy's not a captain to begin with. And it's a, you know, family man, person of color, so many different things. And he was also damaged in a way that we've never really seen before that fleshed out in the captain or in a lead. All of the other leads were pretty, you know, pretty straightforward, knew what they were doing, knew where they were going. And then you get this man who's really at a crossroads, not just in space, but also in his life. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one of the, the big things for me is what made it different was it's not 
it's also not the bright, shiny Star Trek that we'd been used to before that. It's not, you know, the we're going boldly forward with Kirk. It's not the we've gone boldly forward. We're continuing to do that. But it's a lot brighter and shinier now that we're 75 years further down the road and we have bigger ships. We could do more things. And we've got androids now. But, you know, this is I remember it being affectionately referred to or maybe not so affectionately referred to as gas station in space at one point. And I was like, wow, that's a that's a that's a way to identify it. But it kind of was, especially for the first couple of seasons. Yeah, Cisco is a totally different uh, commanding officer from what we've seen uh, previously. And I love the setup for his character. I know I'm, I'm a huge Picard fan, love Picard, but I love that in the first episode, we basically have Cisco telling Picard off because in his mind, Picard killed his wife. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take a lot of gymnastics to get to that. Uh, no, because I, I totally get where he's coming from, but I also love that in this first episode, and we talked about this, we hit on it very briefly. Everything we hit on, Robert, was very brief, I promise. <laughs> but we hit on this very briefly that, you know, Emissary, it sets up the story arc for the whole series. Mm-hmm. Like, it, at the very beginning, lets you know that this is going to build on itself. It, it's building a bigger story that's going to go over the whole existence of the series. Uh, and I think that was very different for Star Trek. I mean, other than the premise of, you know, boldly going where no one has gone before. Uh, DS9 was the first one that really kind of set that up. This is what our story is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be about this wormhole. It's going to be about the prophets. It's going to be about, uh, or the wormhole aliens, whatever you prefer to call them. Um, and I thought that was different. And um, I think it benefited from that. I would agree. Something, you know, something else, Watching watching Cisco's development over the series was something. I mean, Kirk was pretty pretty across the board the same person throughout the series and even the movies. Um, Picard, I think that they gave him growth through adventures and other experiences, especially like the Inner Light, where he lived another lifetime in like twenty minutes, and it was one of the one of the more beautiful episodes of of uh, TNG where he it changed his perspective on so many things that kept they kept a through line there but Cisco going from a man who had just lost his wife well had lost his wife about a year before you know he's now a single father he's not sure if he wants to stay in Starfleet he's got the man who killed his wife telling him here's your new job and just all of these things coming together and then if you add on top of that, the Bajorans are like, you're our top holy person. And he's just like, I want no part of this. And he fought it so vehemently for so long as well. And, you know, then realized as the series progressed that it wasn't just something that they thought. It was, you know, his destiny. It was who he truly was. And he was, you know, it, the coming to accept that was a you know huge thing for him even begrudgingly. And, you know, let's, let's use that as a, as a springboard into this also did something that you didn't see often in uh, other series. They kind of glanced off of it, maybe for an episode or two, but religion and religion played a central role in this, epi- in this series. And it wasn't just like, we're going to talk about it. It's like, it's right here in your face all the time. I, uh, I, I think uh, having so as 
as reluctant to be a leader there in Starfleet, first of all, but then being able to, uh, having to make that choice, do I accept this role as your religious leader now, on top of being stationed here on the station, that, uh, you know, he, having him go from being a reluctant leader to being a true leader and accepting his his that's it's a path that you can three episodes or in four episodes it's something that that benefits from having seven years to explore a character with other characters and relationships with hosts, you know that that you don't get if you are able to leave your problems behind and go to the next planet next week and Deep Space Nine allows them to do that. That's a great point. Yeah, and I think on the religion piece that, that you mentioned, Robert, it's it's interesting because I think up to that point in Star Trek, if religion came up, it was usually like on some backwards planet that they would come to that would have these really strong religious beliefs. And it was this feeling of we have all evolved kind of past that point of religion and, and deep space nine here, they are confronting this culture and this people in the Bajorans who are still deeply spiritual and deeply religious, uh, despite having warp capability, despite being, you know, part of this interplanetary kind of culture that's developed within the Federation, within the quadrant. And not just the Bajoran culture and religion that we explore, but I think we get a little bit deeper into some of the Klingon religion, a little bit of the Cardassian. And it's not in a way that just dismisses it as, you know, it, it finds a way to say that religion and science and progress could coexist on some level, uh, which was different than what we had seen in Star Trek previously. You mean hooky religions and ancient weapons aren't going to serve you as well as a good blaster at your side? Yeah. To, to well, steal but, but, somewhere else. But even Han knew he was wrong because <laughs> he says in The Force Awakens that, he, you know, it was all true anyway. So, well, And that's, and that's true. But I, I think that um, in getting... But it took him 30 religion, years to get there. It, it did. It did. And yeah. it took the death of his son as well. Yeah. But that's... that's that, makes sense for his character actually yeah. i think han solo would take him 30 years to get to that point so <laughs> but something else that that going yeah. into the religion i mean we got to see um you mentioned the klingons and let's use this as another jumping off point Worf. we get a character who was kind of a fan favorite on the next generation brought into deep space nine and you know it's kind of like we had picard we had the lead-in character for the previous series kicking off this series. So we saw Picard and we had our little handoff there, but then to go and get somebody as a tactical officer and to bring in Worf, you know, it was like, well, they're, they're showing that this is, is a connected universe and a connected timeline, bringing in a character that had fan interest and fan buy-in. And I think that may have been part of the reason is like Deep Space Nine was not, I don't think it was appreciated nearly as much as it could have been when it first came out uh, because it wasn't the trek that everybody was so used to in bringing in somebody's like it's okay this, this, it'll be all right we've got we, we got people you like look you've got chief o'brien he's he's still here we're bringing in wharf and they had that kind of relationship that they could interact together i think that moving to deep space nine was one of the 
best things that ever happened for that character. Because, you know, you see all the memes about Worf getting just chumped all the time on TNG. And then, you know, he comes to DS9. It's just like, oh, no, he is a badass. Cool. This is what this is what I want to see in a Klingon character. And they did a lot with Worf that I, you know, they did character growth with him over the seven year arc of TNG, but it wasn't his show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the flagship. It's everybody else. And oh, yeah, we've got a security guy over here who happened to have been raised by a Russian couple, which is kind of weird, but we'll, you know, just go with it. And they did a few things with his with his adoptive family. They did things showing how he was uh, treated in the uh, Klingon Empire. But here he got to really grow and have an actual relationship that they didn't they didn't just go, nope, she's going back to this guy with Jad Zia. And it was really nice to see how that developed and the respect that they had for each other. And you know, just watching watching that watching that character's development as well was fun because we got to see different sides of him that didn't really get to shine through in TNG. I, I, I resented Worf at first. I, we have now 10 Worf stories per season. That means I'm going to know less about Odo and Kira and Jadzia and all these other characters. But I do think his addition a- enriched the stories of other characters. Um, and I think they they pushed Cisco especially to, to step up a little more, uh, kind of emboldened some of those stories. And you had some other great Klingons like Martok and uh, and the other Klingons that we we got to, to meet because of Worf and the Klingon focus. Um, and, and I think to have more fun I resented it at first because I thought he would pull too much screen time, but I, I really liked the stories they told with him. So, And I think it definitely was a move by the creators and the showrunners to say, hey, we're not getting the viewership we want, so let's bring in this character that everybody knows and loves. And that can be a risky move because, like you said, Quinn, it could be that they're going to try to pull now more toward all Worf storylines. And I do appreciate that they didn't – like they – still said, okay, we're going to add him to our, to our list of characters here, but we're going to still tell the Deep Space Nine stories, and we're just going to tell Worf Deep Space Nine stories. And I think because you're grounded on this station and it's centered on life on the station, that's where you can get that personal development and that personal growth that we got from, from Worf, and especially in his relationship with Jadzia. And I, I mean, that's one of my favorite relationships in all of Star Trek is the one that the, the two of them have. Uh, and the way it grows and the respect, like you said, Robert, that they have for each other is just, it's its just really cool. And we didn't get those kinds of Worf stories on The Next Generation. And his character just grew a ton. Now, I'm i am a big Worf fan in general. So, and I, I did not resent when they brought him on the show. I was probably more bought into the show when he did join. So it probably worked for me. But I do appreciate now going back and revisiting the series uh, multiple times how they treated his character after he joined uh, and deep space nine for their development and their story. They didn't need Worf, but Worf for his character and his development needed deep space nine and he needed the Cisco uh, and he needed uh, the other characters on the show. And as far as the other Klingons go, especially in that first episode, we get some great Gowron bulgy eye moments that are just fantastic. <laughs> 
uh, I was watching that the other day with my daughter, who's almost 10. And I said, what do you think of that Klingon? And she said, I do not like the faces he makes speaking about Gowron. <laughs> so then you're not wrong. You are not wrong. And, you know, to go further into Worf's development and his relationship, when they killed Jedzia, sorry, folks, spoilers. <laughs> For a 30-year-old series, spoilers. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's still maybe a few who, who didn't know, uh, who didn't get that far yet. But, you know, his his reaction, you know, his his desire to give her a Klingon send-off, one. Mm-hmm. And then having to deal with, well, we've got a symbiont that we've got a transplant, and there happens to be somebody passing through who fits the bill. And, you know, throwing Esri into the mix and her kind of fish out of water because these other, all the other crew members had five and a half, six years to know each other. And she's just like, hey, you're here. Great. And then trying to navigate the relationships because Worf was not cool with, with you know, it's like, it's not Chad Zia. How do I respond to this? And watching how he and she developed a relationship or a friendship outside of we have to work together was was kind of nice to see and watching her then her character develop and not have to be Jadzia was you know watching that very delicate stepping stones that she had to step on to get to being comfortable in her own skin and with who she now was I, I feel bad for anyone who's asked to do what what that actress was asked to do to come in and replace I mean Jadzia was such a popular character I think and Esri was so different. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that it could have been very easy to be like, okay, now we're going to transplant Dax into Esri and, you know, Worf is going to continue his relationship with her going forward. It could have been very easy for them to do that. I love that they didn't because they, that's not how trills work and that mm-hmm. it would have been disingenuous and it just wouldn't have worked. And even though that was complicated and messy and uh, hard to watch at times, but at the end, I think I liked Esri just fine. I liked you presented her at first, better. didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not resent. Probably. Maybe not resent, but you didn't appreciate her at first. Yeah, she wasn't Jedzia. That's what it really came down to. No, fair enough. I, I'm not Cisco. I can't look at Dax and just see the old uh, my old friend, old man Curzon. I couldn't look at her and see Jedzia. That was my problem. That, but that's a me problem, not a her problem. <laughs> I, I like Esri. I think my biggest issue is just whenever the outside, the politics behind the camera, behind the scenes, disrupts a storyline of characters. Like, uh, with, with everything that was going on, like Terry Farrow leaving the show and Jed Zia leaving, I, I appreciate them keeping Dax some form mm-hmm. on the station. I thought they told interesting stories like Nicole DeBoer. Uh, I thought, I mean, Esri was a cutie pie. There were interesting stories, interesting interactions with everybody. In uh, the same way I felt about Worf joining, though, I was like, okay, there are probably 10 Esri episodes in that <laughs> seventh season that, like, what what other stories could have been told, you know? But but I would have loved to have seen another like five years with Esri on the station doing stuff. I thought it was a compelling character. 
still, and I liked what they were doing with her. We've gone into uh, Worf's relationships, and something else that Deep Space Nine did that was glanced on more or less with uh, the Next Generation Era series um, was families. Because, you know, the we're going to send an exploration ship with everybody's family on it, which seems like a horrible idea, but maybe that's just me. I mean, you know, Starfleet has their own, apparently has their own ideas about this. And, but they talked about it and we had Beverly and Wesley on the Enterprise. You had Deanna and her relationships with both Will and briefly Worf, um, Data and Tasha and Jordy and Hologram of the Week. But, um, this show had actual families. Oh, you also had the O'Briens on the Enterprise, but you got the O'Briens and their children um, on Deep Space Nine. You had Cisco and Jake, which was one of the most enriching relationships to me on that in in that show, because it showed all of them showed how much everybody cared about each other. But it was fun to be able to see Jake and, and Ben go to the holodeck and go fishing or, you know, play baseball and just have downtime or the episode where Jake, you know, much to his chagrin gets trapped on a family trip where uh, Ben's building the spaceship with the solar sail. And Jake's just like, shoot me now, please. And, and just watching how those relationships all developed on the show was, was fantastic. And the Ben and uh, Jake relationship I think for me was epitomized is how complete and and um, real it was in the visitor, where mm-hmm. where Cisco gets hit by a warp discharge and disappears into a subspace bubble, and Jake has to live his life without his father, except for brief moments when he phases back into the reality, and Jake spends his life trying to fix what went wrong, because he knows that he's broken by this spends his life he's a successful author he becomes a successful author and then realizes i can't do this without my dad and then he tries to save him and for me the thing that clinches that episode is the um the intro or the return from the last commercial break and it's just cisco sitting there staring into the camera with this warm loving smile on his face staring at jake and jake's asleep and it's like you know it hit me, it always hits me as a very touching scene, even more so when I became a father. Just like, yes, I know this this thing of looking at my kid and going, that's that's my child. And that look of just pure love that he had there was was amazing. And Jake's, you know, explanation to him, like, I figured out how to do this, but you know, you're not gonna like it. But it this is how it has to happen. And watching the the expressions on both sides of I'm committed to this, and Ben's like, "Don't do this." And he's like, "Clock's ticking. It's already happening." And just the distraught nature of of Ben, just like, I, I, "This isn't what I would have wanted for you. I wanted you to do so much more." He's like, "I did everything I wanted to do, and I'm doing this for us because I can't." There's a 13 year old boy who needs his dad, and you've got to go back and be be there for him. And you know that episode is one of the probably three or four out of all of the Star Trek episodes that every time I watch it, it's like, okay, where's the tissues? Because it will make me cry every time. 
Yeah, that's the next one on my list, uh, or the next one in my rotation coming up is The Visitor. I stopped, right? Like, that's the next one I'm going to watch here in a day or two. So uh, I'm preparing myself emotionally for it. <laughs> you kind of have to work up to it. You know, I there's a line on uh, Generations where they're on the bridge of the Enterprise B, and uh, Kirk makes the comment about when did Sulu find time to start a family? And uh, I think Scotty responds to him and says, you know, you always told us if it's important enough, you make the time. And and we hear similar stuff from Picard all the time about how mm-hmm. he just never had time to sit down and start a family. Not that that's not how a family starts, kids. Talk to your parents. <laughs> but, like, we hear that again and again in Star Trek, and that's kind of been the feeling. Like, if you want to be a captain, you want to be a CO, you've got to give up that family relationship. And then we see it here with Cisco, and we realize – that all the other captains before him just pale in comparison because he's just that much better than everybody else because he was able to do that, balance the stress of running this station that really becomes so strategically important to the to the Federation, to the Bajorans, to everybody in the Alpha Quadrant, and still manages to be a really good dad. I mean, he's he doesn't he's suck as a dad at all. And, I mean, he makes mistakes because we all do, but, like, he's someone you can look at and be like, I want to strive to be... And have a relationship like Jake or like Jake and Ben Cisco have, um, and that was so different from anything we had seen from any other captain uh, before. And then on top of that, you have like you said the O'Briens, and then you've got like the Ferengi family. You know, you've got mm-hmm. Rom and Nog and Quark, and you know, there's a scene in one of the episodes where you know Quark messes up Nog's exam to get into Starfleet and Rom is threatening him in the corridor and saying if you ever do anything to mess with my son's happiness again I will burn the bar to the ground and it's like one of the few times where Rom you can tell his threat is absolutely like he will do it oh yeah nicest guy in the galaxy but he will burn your bar to the ground if you mess with his kid and I like those family relationships a lot in DS9 I, I think in the the Cisco's I think the relationship between Jake and is is the most important start the series with it's the one in the series with Ben allowing Jake not to be Starfleet, you know, and like you mm-hmm. you don't want to be Starfleet, you want to be a writer, you want to be a, a journalist, you're gonna go your own way, and I'll support you with that. And and Jake, like I think he's the one that introduces Cassidy Yates mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Ben to each other that that he he's like you're that different way i think the ferengi quark and rom and nug um similarly like not start you know on on the the one hand it like quark is disgusted by it but he also <laughs> loves his nephew and loves his brother and wants to be happy and successful even if it's not going to be profitable they don't pay those starfleet officers but no they're uh they're going to uh he's going to support him because it's family and i think that's the the broader message of of that part of deep space nine at least and also to take the cisco family a little further uh ben's relationship with his father is strong yes. i mean we see we see that you know when ben has to finally figures out i need to not be here for a while he goes home to 
to Earth, you know, we learn that he, you know, is a cadet at the at the uh, academy would go would beam home every night for dinner. You know, it's like and that relationship yeah. shows with uh, let me see, it was Brock Peters who played shoot, what was his name? I can't remember mm-hmm. his father, Joseph, Joseph yeah. Cisco. And, you know, just watching their interactions when Joseph showed up on the station or when Ben was on Earth, you know, it's just like that's it's a great generational relationship that Jake can look back on and have those kinds of memories with his father and his grandfather. And I think that that's something that we definitely never got with the other series. And also, it's something that rings true in African-American families, that generational relationship with between father, son, father, I mean, grandfather, grandson, all, you know, up and down the line. And it was something that really hadn't been seen in sci-fi and even in a lot of other media that wasn't black focused media in, you know, especially in mainstream television. So that was, that was also really great to see. Usually in mainstream television, it's the opposite that's depicted with African-American families. That exactly. And, the and father's seeing, not present and there's not that relationship. And just seeing the bonds there is like, wow, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that is, that is a, a great thing. And, you know, kudos to Paramount. And I think at the time it was still airing on UPN for, for carrying that forward and, and not just kind of going, we're not going to talk about this. UPN. Kids, that was the <laughs> Paramount Network. For those of you that never lived through UPN. <laughs> Paramount <laughs> Network before it became Paramount Plus and you had to pay for it. Yeah. Something else that Deep Space Nine did was give us really rich villains. Not that in not that the other series didn't, but you I mean, we got Khan from the original series, we got Moriarty, we got Lore, we got the Crystalline Entity, we got the Borg from TNG, and also the uh creatures that tried to overtake the federation in the conspiracy episode and i will come back to that in just a moment but we got rich rich villains in deep space nine with everybody's favorite kai win and she didn't she didn't start a villain but her arc to villainy was amazing you got the founders uh wayun and uh the gem hadar in the Dominion, you had the Cardassians. And then, you know, looking at Cardassians, you also have Garrick. Where does he really fall on the line? And they play his arc so well. You know, just like, is he or isn't he? We don't know. He seems to be okay, but there's something seriously shady going on over here. We just won't look over there too hard. But you know, they gave us so many great villains on this show and took the time to explore them. And I think that that was one of the strengths of the show as well, that the others didn't play on as much, but they 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 kind of took it. And I mean, even going into the Dominion War, you have no choice but to look at what's going on with the founders and their cadre. So I, I liked that they decided this is not bright, shiny, happy Alpha Quadrant. We're out here on the fringes and it's the it is truly the frontier, like, you know, Kirk was going to explore a hundred years before this. We're here again, and we're not just passing through. We are stuck here. When I think of Star Trek and I think of villains, I think Q is probably one of the big villains that that comes to mind. Whether or not he's a villain, I 
I think he's a villain. You know, he's Picard's big foil. What I love about Deep Space Nine is they had so many great villains that, like, they really only had one Q episode because it was like, we just don't have time for this. We have too many other things going on. And Cisco didn't have time to mess around with Q. And punches him in the face. On. Yeah. <laughs> and, which, and, which was great. And, they, and you never hear about it again. Just like he punches him and we're done here. Okay, that's great. Yeah, because he just doesn't have time for that. Uh, I think Kai Wynn is one of the greatest villains ever. I mean, if you think Dolores Umbridge is bad, and she is, <laughs> whew, Kai Wynn takes it to a whole new level. But what you mentioned where her, her character kind of develops that way, we see that a lot with a lot of the characters in Deep Space Nine, whether it's Kai Wynn, uh, Gold Ducat, Garrick, where it's hard to place them exactly black or white on the good to bad spectrum. They sit a lot in the gray. I would argue that with Ducat, Ducat was a politician and a soldier. And it's a, a combination that worked very well for him because he he had the Cardassian you know, politica behind him, but he also had the military mm-hmm. might to back up any threat that he made and would not hesitate to do so. Then, you know, towards the end of the series where he becomes possessed with, you know, by the power wraiths and is like, mm-hmm. so I just have straight up power. Game on. And I, but for me, I think that all of them exemplify really well the whole, the villain is the hero in their own story. Because they all had justifications for what they did and how they did it and how they went about it. But, you know, from the Federation perspective, which, you know, the audience is sitting here, you know, sitting through. Yeah, they are the, the they're the bad guys. Anybody? I agree, Robert. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> I think the only exception to me, like, because we get well, a it... lot of sympathetic... Go ahead, Quinn. Well, <laughs> I, I think the... Uh... You can only get villains that complex if you have that much time to to develop them. And yes. and I think sitting with Kai Wynn, not just in like a two part episode, but space of of years, you see, yeah, she does want what's best for Bajor, but she also craves power, and she also she believes, but she will also give up those beliefs for more power and i i think taking taking the time to get to know those characters just just benefits and so having this star trek be stationary in every sense of the word you you benefit from from that and i uh yeah i I really value that because then when when you do lose somebody it is a true loss and uh the the that might not have been a year are they have flourished they've blossomed yeah i think the stationary piece plays a huge a huge piece in that because you know in in other star trek shows when they come across a bad villain it's like well that was that was scary glad we'll never see that guy again (laughs) and then it's move on to the next planet and the next right whatever that they're gonna have to face but but yeah, like Kai Wynn was awful, but they had to figure out a way to work with her on stuff because she was a spiritual leader on Bajor and that had a huge influence on the politics. And and Garrick, was he good? Was he bad? But he was on the station and they had to figure out a way how, you know, to get along with him and, and 
you know, work with him and because these guys, these characters didn't go away. Yeah. And so they had to figure out a way to coexist in some way that time and that development really pays off. It's another reflection of our real world. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's politics or coworkers or family members, you need to find a way to, you need to find a way to cope. And there are going to be weeks that are not wins and win like Kai. Um, (laughs) Never mind. That just, that just just fell apart, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's it's the most real world of the Star Trek, and and using that as a great jumping off point for real world, they also touched on something over an arc that other episodes may have hinted at a couple of I mean other series may have hinted at here and there. They actually went into mental health. Their entry point for that was Nog after he lost his leg comes back to Deuce Space Nine. He's he's kind of unfocused and unsure of what to do. Granted. I'm sure that there was a counselor on there before Esri that he could have talked to, but he retreated into a comfortable space for him, which was uh, Vic's lounge, uh, you know, in the hollow suite. Actually got, you know, good advice from Vic about how to, you know, how to move forward. But, you know, science fiction shows don't talk about your mental health. You know, they don't talk about, you know, what's, what's the best thing for you to do, whether it's, you know, stay in Starfleet, don't stay in Starfleet, you know, do something it's it's, it was unheard of and the fact that in this would have been what early 2000s maybe 2001 um that they're putting it in the forefront and showing nog has actual trauma that he's dealing with ben had trauma that he just kind of plowed through over the over the series but you know some of these characters were just not well especially in you know looking at it today and when we're so adamant about self-care and taking time for you making sure that you're getting time with your family for this you know literally 30 years ago or you know 26 years ago at that point you know it was huge and that's also kind of risky at that point Quinn, you have the floor i think that uh yeah showing how the characters cope with loss i think you could say the same thing with uh watching Worf deal with Jed's death, dealing with, yes. with loss like that. I think uh, there there were some stories where oh where where Ben ends up uh, on Earth eighteen forties as a science fiction magazine writer. Nineteen fifties, uh, far beyond the where, stars, one of my other favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that plays into obviously the civil rights and, and, and racism, but also mental health there as, mm. as well. I, I think uh, there, there were a lot of stories that were like, Hey, going through war is going to put these guys through the ringer and, and we're going to, it's going to be pleasant. It's not always just pew pew and mm-hmm. a cloaking device and you move on. It's like that eventually catches up with you. I think we see it. We see it a little bit with O'Brien and the way he feels towards Cardassians because of experiences that, he, that he's had as an enlisted man and some of the operations he was part of. Um, I think we see the difference in how the show approaches it, which is pretty progressive and forward thinking for its time uh, in the way Cisco approaches Worf when he's talking to him about staying on the station. Four years previous, we have Picard talking to Cisco about whether or not he's going to give up his commission and Picard's kind of like, just suck it up, man. Like your Starfleet, suck it up. 
this is your assignment, do it. And then when Cisco has that same conversation with Worf, it's very much like, look, I was going through something. This is something that happened to me. You know, you've got to decide for yourself. And it was much more of an open conversation about loss and dealing with it and moving forward and things like that. And I think that was the style that Deep Space Nine had with a lot of that stuff was much more open, much more communicative, um, talking very openly about it. And that's huge difference for what we had seen in, in sci-fi up to that point and probably still do see in large part. I think we see a little more now because I think it's, I think that show writers are trying to address real world topics in their shows more often now. So I think that we do see a little more now than we did even 30 years ago. And definitely before that, it was always, you know, suck it up before that. I mean, Kirk would have never gone to talk to somebody. Picard kept everything very close to the vest. I think that starting there and, you know, moving forward with, subsequent series you see where there are more many characters not all are more willing to discuss what's going on in their heads and get it out somehow um and one that i forgot to mention was kira dealing with the loss of um shoot um barile and mm-hmm. then having to deal with a mirror barile and a mirror kira again and having to kind of reopen that wound and it's like watching Halo, that was difficult for how difficult that was for her. Also losing faith, literally, in Kai Wen as she's the spiritual leader of Bajor. And Kira, who was always shown to be very, uh, very devout in her, in her faith. And to have the person who is the head of Bajor's religion turned into a very horrific person is was was hard for her there were a lot of mirror universe episodes since you mentioned it i just think that there's a lot of mirror universe episodes <laughs> in deep space nine but it was interesting the, the way that they played the mirror universe in ds9 was was kind of fun to see and you know watching ben deal with jennifer's alive here but we never got mm-hmm. buried you know watching that divergence was fun you know seeing that not everybody was quite as good or bad as we thought of them previously. And, you know, like we said, what would Kai Wynn be like in the mirror universe? A decent person. A decent person. It would be weird. <laughs> I think that really, you know, I, I find that the show has so many things to offer, even today, that you can go back and look at. Quinn mentioned, you know, the Far Beyond the Stars episode. We've talked about, you know, relationships, not just family, but found family and how the group became their, you know, not just a crew and not just a Federation and Bajoran crew, but a family unit together. And I recently finished a book set in the DS9 future called Unity. And it's, you know, Ben is still in the wormhole. Cassidy is still pregnant. Um, Jake has been gone for a number of years you know, Jake returns and they're, they're just trying to, the card, sorry, there's something going on with the Federation that Deep Space Nine is aware of, but won't talk much about. And everybody's very tight lipped. The Federation is extremely tight in it. And it comes and it. This is coming back to what I said earlier about conspiracy. The aliens that appeared in conspiracy are back and they're back with a vengeance and they show up 
in a couple of different places, but they show up in a big way on Bajor. And I will just leave it at that because I don't want to spoil anything. It's actually a pretty fast read in a, in a interesting look at, you know, what could have been. Uh, I don't know if it's considered apocrypha now or if they've decided, eh, we'll just let it ride. But it was, it for me, fulfilled, you know, an itch that I haven't had scratched in a number of years for that universe and that setting. So if you've not read it, I recommend it. You know, uh, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Unity. Well, and if you're if you're watching Picard, third season now, it ties in a little bit with with Deep Space Nine. I don't want to say more than that for those that <laughs> haven't seen it, but uh, well, you also get a Deep Space Nine tie in with uh, Lower Decks as well, yep. and it, you know that was that was fun to see adhere characters from DS Nine show up. It, un, somewhat unexpectedly you didn't know who you were going to get and it was just a fun you know foray back into a warm fuzzy spot in space on the other side of the of the galaxy yeah i'm hoping to see more more of what's happening now or mm-hmm. i guess in the 25th century on a <laughs> deep space nine <laughs> more of what's happening now 500 years in the future. Yeah, 400 sure. years. Yeah. Time travel, yeah. go figure. I, I think that we've touched on a lot. And I know that we've, we've hit the hour mark. And I apologize again for disappearing for so long. You know, I have to get a Chief O'Brien on that. Um, but I think that we've covered a lot of great ground. And I think that we've shown what the what Deep Space Nine has meant to each of us in different ways. And, you know, we could... I could easily go on for another hour, hour and a half, two hours, 10 days talking about it because there's, it's just so much to mine from in, in that series and so much left, you know, like the, uh, there was a movie that came out, what we left, what was left behind or what we left behind that kind of talked about what the showrunners might have done had they continued beyond the seventh season. It's a show that I think got, Maybe not a bad rap, but definitely not a fair shake by a lot of people, by a lot of diehard Trek fans when it came out. I think that it is a very worthwhile successor to the original series and Next Generation and lead into everything that came after. One of the most direct links you can have or look at is Discovery, where you start again with a non-captain character and watch their progression uh, through their adversity and a number of external challenges that that lead to decisions that are that are not easy for anybody. Um, even with Prodigy, you know, which I think if you have young children, you like to get them into Star Trek. I think that's a great gateway. It ties in a little more to Voyager than to the other series, but they're it's it's the same family, the same universe, and it, it's it's fun. I've enjoyed watching it with my daughters. I only start with the first series when I'm introducing my kids to it, the original series, because I just, the animated you know, series. No, no, the, the original <laughs> series, all the misogyny and issues. Like that's where I want to start with my kids. When we start Star Trek, start them off. Right. <laughs> and then I just tell them it only gets better from here, guys. It only gets better from here. Sorry. I took us off track there, Robert. I apologize. Nope. That's, that's on me. That's okay. <laughs> No, what I, what I wanted to say is there's so much richness in Deep Space Nine that we started to get with TNG because the original series was definitely episode of the week and they were shown in an order that 
didn't really matter. You could catch any episode, and if you just ignore the star date, any episode could follow any other in the original series. They went more episodic in arc, story arc with with uh, Next Generation. And this one, you were definitely, if you missed episodes in this one, it it kind of hurt because you did miss certain things that paid off later in that season that were definitely further down the road. Um, so it changed it changed Trek in that way as well. It, you know, it wasn't Gene Roddenberry's bright, shiny Federation. It was the tail into space on a busted, you know, old busted former prison colony that, you know, it's like, okay, well, here we are. This is what we got. We, we got that thing over there that's flying around in space. We should probably go explore that at some point. And I think that that also allowed them to get the fans who were like, well, they're just stuck in one place to assuage them a little bit to go, yeah, we got we got a bigger ship. It's a battleship, and we can go different spots now, or we, or the, you know the longer range runabouts can go a little further out. And yeah, that's I mean all of those things together, and and so many more things are what I think makes Deep Space Nine such a great show, worthy of a lot more attention than it got. I am happy to see that more people have come to it since it has gone off the air and have appreciated it more. And I, you know, think that it deserves every bit of that appreciation and attention that it's now getting. I uh, totally agree. I deep space nine was the first star Trek uh, series that I sat down and watched with my wife. When she found out I was into star Trek, I hid it from her for a number of years. (laughs) uh, And then she found out my deep, dark secret. That was the series that I thought if I was going to start her anywhere, that's where I want to start because I felt like the characters were just more grounded and you could buy into their stories a little bit more uh, than in some of the other series. And it was one that, that we watched pretty faithfully until we got through the whole series, you know, usually one or two episodes a night. That was a great shared experience that that and other things has always made me feel that deep space nine is, is, you know, my Star Trek series that I go back to frequently and watch uh, from start to finish and uh, just enjoy. And every time I pick up new things or uh, remember things that I've forgotten, put different pieces together, it's just, to me, it's one of those series that just really stands uh, the test of time. I mean, even 30 years later watching it, it doesn't feel to me like it's an old series. My kids probably disagree, but it doesn't feel like an old series to me. Quinn, anything? Yeah, I uh, I I love it. It's it's usually my favorite Star Trek, and I uh, I, I if if Star Trek is about examining the human experience, I think that Star Trek is that or, or Deep Space Nine does that in more ways than most of the other Treks, and I think does it more more completely. My my oldest son uh his name is miles benjamin and it's like he's not named after certain characters but those characters never did anything to make me not name him after them is how i'll say it so i uh you know i i i I love uh love those characters of that station love the defiant it's my favorite hero ship like i uh yeah, just fantastic uh, series, and more fun than it gets credit for. It's not dour I, all the time. It's it's a fun it's show. It's not. 
and then and i think that for a show that did start off a little heavier than than most star trek series start off with the possible exception of voyager um it has episodes that are lighter and are uplifting it's not always you know we're we're in the middle of hell it's that's not what it's about even in the middle of the dominion war i think that they showed that life goes on there you can still find joy in things even in the middle of wow i'm going to go there trials and tribulations which is also a great episode <laughs> i regret nothing <laughs> <laughs> that that is one of my favorite moments in star trek in trials and tribulations when they ask Worf about the whole klingon yeah. thing going on he's like yeah we we don't we talk, talk about, about it <laughs> and i think that if you if you want to get a look at an episode and it ties in so well with both deep space nine and the original series start there and just kind of if you're a fan of the original series this is a great kind of look at both worlds at the same time if you've not watched deep space nine do yourself a favor give it a shot and know that it does suffer from something that many other series fall fall prey to people getting used to their characters for the first season or season and a half there's a lot of there's a fair bit of that that goes on with deep space nine in the first season definitely i think that by the time they hit late first season early second season people had a much firmer lock on who their characters were and that all the character growth that we talked about earlier just blossoms out of that going forward from there it's true kira's extra shouty in the first season Yes. Like she's just <laughs> angry all the time, but I mean, so and she Odo gets for that much, matter. much better. Yeah, I mean, Odo was too. Odo quieted down a little bit, but he was still had yeah. his little quark. But yeah, you know, he he, you know, we didn't even touch on him, and he's another fabulous part of that puzzle for Deep Space Nine. And I wish I'd spent a little more time talking about him earlier, because yeah. he ties into so much on that show in so many ways and becomes vital, especially towards the second uh the middle third and second third of the series yeah but there's not a character though on the show that i think yeah i could do without that character even minor characters i have a hard time corks wouldn't be the same without morn he doesn't say anything (laughs) but it wouldn't be the same it it would not and i think that they you know they i think that everybody got their chance to shine you know going to quinn's you know 10 episodes of X. I think that everybody over the course of seven seasons had enough time to develop, to have key episodes and to shine. Even some of the lesser members of the ensemble. And you got to know them all very well in that time. Yeah. And I don't think that anyone was left lacking in that regard. Well, and and more than we ever got to know about Jordy or Beverly or even Will Riker, you know, mm-hmm. we, we know so much about Picard and Data and Worf and then everybody else. Mm, secondary. True. But True. those secondary characters on Deep Space, we, we got to know them. Yeah. And care about them. I mean, by, yeah. the, by the end of the series, you actually do care about what happens to these people. What what are they going through? What have they gone through? I mean, when you can get an episode where it's Odo and Quark 
stuck on a planet, you care about what happens to both of them. And like, it's one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the show, I'd say, yeah, those are two of my favorite characters. But by that point, yeah, they are. And I love them. So I agree. Well, rather than prattle on for another umpteen hours just about you know our favorite our favorite star trek um we should probably wrap it here uh jake thank you for taking you over in my absence uh let to figure out what the heck is going on with my system now uh quinn thank you so much for bringing your insight and input to the show thank you jake jake uh, you can point out any of the age of geek media that needs to be pointed out yeah, for sure. You can uh, find us on Discord, discord.com slash ageofgeekmedia. Uh, you can also find us at ageofgeek.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, subscribe, please, to our YouTube channel so you'll never miss an episode. And we greatly appreciate your support. Thank you very much for, for uh, joining our podcast and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. This has been an Age of Geek media production.